Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Sooners Extra, the Oklahoma podcast brought to you by the Oklahoma, and I'm Ryan Aber here today with uh, Joe Masato and Jenny, Jenny Carlson, uh, Joe, fellow beat writer uh, for the Oklahoman, Jenny, uh, columnist. The Sooners Extra podcast, as always, brought to you by Zaxby's. Cure your craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. And we finally have a quarterback, guys. It's uh, been decided. I think all of us thought it was decided a long time ago, but... Wasn't it already decided? <laughs> really? I mean, yeah, I mean really? In January sometime, I January think. January 16th. 16th. <laughs> it was it was the day when Jalen Hurts made his announcement. Austin Kendall uh, promptly hightailed it out of town, and uh, I don't think there's been any doubt since then who the starting quarterback for Oklahoma was going to be, barring injury, but Lincoln Riley made it officially official on Monday, naming Jalen Hurts the starter. Uh, Jenny, you uh, wrote one of our pieces on on Jalen today. Yep. Uh, this is in the Tuesday edition of the Oklahoman about his his toughness and what that says about Jalen Hurts the person, Jalen Hurts the quarterback. But this was, like we said, predestined from a long time ago. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Lincoln Riley told Jalen Hurts, you know, it's your job before he transferred, but. You know, here's a guy that won 26 games at Alabama, did that as a true freshman, as a second-year sophomore, got them to the national championship game both years. You know, I think he could see that when it came to experience, talent, all those sorts of things, it, it tiled up to, to be a situation where he was going to be the front runner, and, le- and unless he did something out of character, it was his job to, to, to take. So, you know, I think that this was the outcome that we thought would happen. Um, you know, it, it, I think the timing of it with, with school starting, classes starting on Monday at OU, you lock in those other guys really make it difficult for them to transfer at this point. And really when you're talking about those other guys, you're talking about one guy. Right, uh, right. Tanner Mordecai. Right. And that's that's a great point, Ryan, because, yeah, I do think that <clears throat> you've said this before. Joe's probably said it as well. They want a redshirt Spencer Rattler. They, they want to have him um, <clears throat> available for as long as possible and, and not play him this year. So unless the situation becomes – you know, injury, untenable, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's about keeping Tanner Mordecai, and you risk losing him to a transfer if you make this decision any earlier than than they did. So um, it's not the most pretty side of college football when you talk about locking in guys and making it hard for him to transfer at this point, but it's part of the deal. And, um, you know, they to, to keep the depth and um, the bodies there, this is what Lincoln Riley had to do. Yeah, Jenny, uh, you you just talked about it, and Barry uh, Trammell wrote about it a little bit in his blog, Joe, the the timeline of these things, how it's sort of forced by the calendar, and as unseemly as it might seem to 
wait to sort of lock in a guy for for an entire year, an entire semester. One, it's sort of what college football has become and the the calendar sort of forces. But two, Tanner Mordecai could have at any time said, hey, I understand what's going to happen here. I'm going to go ahead and get out uh, now and save myself the time. But he chose to stay in and fight, and this is just sort of uh, the, the situation right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think in that blog you, you mentioned Barry sort of described it as Lincoln Riley was – uh, played the cards he was dealt. I mean, that's just what there, – there's no coincidence that Jalen Hurts was named the starter yesterday, Justin Fields at Ohio State, Austin Kendall today, which we'll get into at West Virginia. I mean, this is the week where starting quarterbacks are named. No one wants their two, three, four guys to transfer away. It is really unfortunate, I think, for the players, but I, I guess you do bring up a fair point that if we could all see it, maybe Tanner Mordecai – could see it also but it's hard to put ourselves into his position because he's probably got a lot of pride he's a competitor and there was probably some uh somewhere inside him where he thought he could win the job yeah I don't think there's any doubt about that and to me it's really interesting looking at the next quarterback race of course we thought that it would be interesting going into this year and that didn't happen through some different different events so who knows who's going to transfer in here and uh (laughs) you know five four five months but uh next year's quarterback race shapes up to be a really interesting one assuming Tanner Mordecai hangs around because you've got Mordecai and Spencer Rattler I I think there's questions uh about who's going to be the backup this year and will that person would that person still be the backup if uh Jalen Hurts got hurt and they had to elevate somebody into that number one spot you know maybe you've got Tanner Mordecai as the backup in name and he's the guy who cleans up games but if something happened could it be Spencer Rattler but I think next year's quarterback battle to me shapes up as a really interesting one that's really up in the air this isn't you know this foregone conclusions that we've had the last couple years now I would handicap it as Spencer Rattler being favored right now but I I certainly wouldn't uh put it past Tanner Mordecai to win the starting job. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Ryan. I mean, I, I, I think I would see it the same way. You know, you look at the high school pedigree um, that Spencer Rattler brings in, and it's impressive. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. But, you know, in, uh, in Tanner Mordecai, you've got a guy who's been around He's played snaps. He's likely to, to play some snaps this year. You know, may not be super meaningful, but those types of things add up over time and, and add to your confidence and, and your understanding of things. So, yeah, I mean, I think it is going to be interesting to see where things go next year. Um, you know, and I, I do think that what you said about how they'd like this to play out, you know, best case scenario, Jalen Hurts is is the starter every game this year. Mordecai gets some snaps here and there. Maybe they try to use the redshirt rule to some degree with yeah, Russ would, Rattler, but seems unlikely, I would think. Well, they, they did with Tanner Mordecai last yeah. year. He played a few games early, and I would think especially that South Dakota game uh, and then you know the Texas Tech and, and Kansas games, if you're able to put those away, certainly the Kansas game you would anticipate they'd be able to that uh, those might be some times where you try to get Spencer Rattler some work in there and, and see maybe where he is with this offense in a live situation. So it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, this year how all that plays out going into uh, 
post this year. And, you know, we're not even talking about how Jalen Hurts is. We haven't <laughs> touched on very much at all how Jalen Hurts is going to be in, in this thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like Hertz is the actual starter, but the the more interesting battle, I think, is is the backup, and um, maybe we'll we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. Haven't yet talked to Lincoln Riley today, but maybe he'll announce that you know Tanner Mordecai is the backup. I don't know if he will, but that South Dakota game might be our first look of okay, who is that guy getting the second team snaps, assuming it's a blowout. Um, I, th- I think at this point, Mordecai is probably the safest bet given his experience and a year in the system. Um, but Rattler might have the higher upside. But um, yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about Jalen Hurts. Like, how, how how does he how does he fit in? Yeah, Jenny, let's talk about this. And I I wrote about uh, Jalen Hurts's performance today in the Oklahoman and in, in Tuesday's Oklahoman about uh, the Jalen Hurts we saw two years ago versus the Jalen Hurts we saw in limited time last year, especially the fourth quarter of that SEC championship game. And we're talking, you know, we got to give a small sample size alert here. But in that game, he did some things that looked much different than what he did uh, the last time he was a starting quarterback. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I do think um, the, the passing, how adept a passer Jalen Hurts will be in Lincoln Riley's offense has always been the question. Um, the, the, the ability he has to run the ball, which he ran it a lot as a freshman at Alabama, ran it a little less as a sophomore, but that was always a, a pretty substantial part of what he did. And, you know, I think sometimes some of that was maybe not a very deep progression on uh, pass plays, not maybe looking at your third or fourth receiver. Maybe you get one, two, and then uh, taking off. But he was super effective at it. I, I think he averaged like almost six yards a carry as a freshman, right at about five yards as a sophomore. So, I mean, not that running was a bad thing. I mean, I think that was, you know, that sort of average. You would say, all right, that, that that's moving the ball forward. We we like that. So, um, but you you do have more of a a vertical uh, passing attack with Lincoln Riley, even though, you know, he played for Lane Kiffin as a freshman, you know, a guy who throws it around a bunch, uh, other offensive coordinators along the way. But I think uh, we maybe got a glimpse of some of the evolution of his passing skills in that SEC championship game against Georgia. We're going to get a chance to see how much it's truly evolved in an offense that, if it has taken some significant steps forward in his accuracy, his uh, his deep passing, Lincoln Riley's going to use that. There's zero doubt about that. That is really the hallmark of what Baker Mayfield did, what Kyler Murray did uh, using Hollywood Brown. Whoever you want to throw out there is those deep threats. Those guys, D.D. Westbrook, those guys made that offense so um, – difficult to defend over that length of the field that if Jalen Hurts can do that with some consistency changes a ton about what we might see this year yeah Joe that'll be be interesting to see how that dynamic evolves and who that guy is to to spread the field is it uh, does CeeDee Lamb take more of a role in in downfield receiving or does it become a guy like Charleston Rambo or one of the freshmen that uh, or you know somebody else that uh, has that role of uh, sort of expanding defenses in the way that we've seen the Sooners expand defenses the last few years. 
Yeah, I mean, I think C.D. Lamb is the is the best place to start. I actually think his yards per catch numbers were a little higher than Marquise Brown's last year, which was interesting because Marquise Brown was such a deep threat. Um, but there's there's plenty of options. I mean, we we kind of broke down the receivers on one of the former podcasts, and it's it's kind of mind-blowing to think that they added three five-stars to an already established group. So for Jalen Hurts, he's walking into maybe not the best position up front as far as welcoming in four new offensive linemen, but his receivers can be quite the safety blanket. Yeah, no doubt about it. But we're going to take a break now. After talking current OU quarterbacks, we're going to come back and talk former OU quarterbacks a little bit. But uh, I'm your host, Ryan Aber, alongside Jenny Carlson and Joe Masato from the Oklahoman. And this is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. Once again, I'm Ryan Aber here with Jenny Carlson and Joe Masato. And uh, Joe, uh, an interesting piece posted by GQ today from a former OU quarterback, uh, Baker Mayfield. Um, I was there a couple years ago in Columbus, Ohio, and saw Baker Mayfield uh, attempt to plant the flag at half uh, – at mid midfield, mid court, uh, it might as well have been a court. It was yeah. artificial turf. He wasn't yeah, going to get it in there. Just as much chance of planting the flag <laughs> at mid court uh, of Ohio State's <laughs> basketball arena as he did uh, on the field at the Horseshoe that night. But Baker Mayfield came back the next day after that and apologized, and that said, uh, you know, I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. I apologize. Well, it turns out he didn't really mean that apology according to gq yeah i mean <laughs> i guess you know you you wake up to some news like this I mean, some tuesday mornings i mean it's just baker mayfield day <laughs> i guess just unexpected stories but not really surprising i mean baker mayfield said something that gets people riled up i mean i i don't think maybe looking back it makes sense that he didn't really mean the apology and i think he mentioned how you know, he was basically asked to apologize for that. And I, he was also asked on a scale of 1 to 10, like, how, how much of it was sincere? And he said zero. So did not even <laughs> register on the scale of sincerity. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting as I was blogging about this this morning. I started looking back into our archives around that time and, you know, what we wrote about Baker Mayfield's apology, which I think a lot of us sort of thought it was ridiculous that he was apologizing for that in the first place. But uh, one columnist, Jenny Carlson, <laughs> uh, wrote, wrote about this and uh, talking about uh, there's a, a quote from Lincoln Riley who said, talked about 
the game and how great that was for their team and for college football and says that to me should be the focus of what happened. And this is what Jenny wrote, writes after that. That to me is why Mayfield said sorry. Even though he said he didn't want to disrespect Ohio State, his reasons go beyond that. He's smart. He's savvy. He realizes that perception is extremely important in college football, important because big decisions are made by human beings. Who goes to the college football playoff? Who wins the Heisman Trophy? Of course, we know what happened that year. Uh, A few weeks later, Baker Mayfield uh, does something that he clearly needed to apologize for and did uh, on the the sidelines of the the Kansas game. But he wins the uh, Heisman Trophy. He uh, makes the college football playoff and obviously became the the number one draft pick later that year. But, uh, Jenny, it's interesting looking at this column again through the prism of what Baker Mayfield says today, which is, I didn't want to apologize. They made me do it. Lincoln Riley says, uh, I believe it was on the Paul Feinbaum show, that uh, the the apology was completely Baker Mayfield's idea. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to say I believe Baker Mayfield on this one. Yeah, I think so, too. And, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that he needed to apologize, I, what you said earlier, Ryan, but in the within the world of college football where stuff like that is not looked, down, looked at favorably. I mean, in the NFL, you know, Antonio Brown sneaks his helmet into practice and is a nutball and, you know, all this <laughs> stuff. Like, it, 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 we it, could spend about 18 segments <laughs> talking about Antonio Brown today. But it's... It, you know, that sort of stuff is kind of, you know, guys guys do weird stuff in the NFL. And they're and it's funny how that dynamic shifts because there was at one time when the NFL had this reputation as the, you know, yeah. no fun league. Yeah. And you couldn't Button do any down. of that stuff, but you could do more of it in college. And then it sort of shifted back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I, part of it, you know, I think part of it is you look at this uh, college football playoff and I think it has kind of. Uh, pulled back the curtain and they 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 pull back the curtain on purpose but to see who's involved with making the decisions for the playoff which i think is then in a lot of people's minds and in a lot of ways rightfully so a a microcosm of voters for individual awards uh voters for uh accolades uh across the board and you look and you see who's in that room and there's a lot of people that they are from an earlier era, and when they see stuff like a flag planting, that's not what they they want it to be. Hand the ball to the official, run to the sideline. You know, <laughs> the Barry Sanders approach. They want the Barry Sanders approach exactly. So I think there is that perception uh, issue. Clearly, Oklahoma in the in its totality, whether. Baker Mayfield, Lincoln Riley, their PR people, the president, I don't know, Joe Castiglione, whoever was involved, they all understood the perception part of it. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that was one of those things you, you know, it happened. There's video of it. It's pretty clear. <laughs> um, but you, I mean, I think that, again, the perception, you don't want to have people who might see that in a very negative way look at you or your program negatively because of that at the end of the year when those sorts of things are voted on. Yeah. So it, it's interesting timing that this comes out now. 
you know, there's all kinds of interesting stuff in the Baker Mayfield article. Mm-hmm. The uh, comments about Daniel Jones, I think, were probably the thing, uh, Joe, that uh, garnered the most attention outside. Well, I, I think period outside of Oklahoma and probably Ohio as they focused on this uh, Ohio State deal. Yeah, so <laughs> he just kind of went after Daniel Jones for no apparent reason um, and, and said that, you know, he doesn't know why NFL teams don't get it as far as, you know, they overthink it, maybe looking for the wrong traits or skills in a quarterback when they should look at who wins. And I, I guess that's a thing NFL teams have actually studied. I forgot who just – I saw someone just tweet this out, um, but it was a story on NFL teams studying a correlation between – having success in college as far as wins and losses, not just stats, and actually winning in the NFL. Um, Obviously, Daniel Jones did not win at the rate Baker Mayfield won. A lot of that is where he went to school, but um, I I think that's kind of an interesting uh, exercise to look at after Baker said something inflammatory. (laughs) Yeah, and it's also an interesting critique of the process, not only through that prism, but also thinking about, you know, I think, College football coaches a lot of times overthink things. I always think about uh, the the year a few years ago when Texas just couldn't slow down a running quarterback, and OU had some options uh, with that, with uh, Trevor Knight, uh, with Blake Bell, and they went completely against that and wind up uh, getting beat. It's true. I saw it with my own eyes. Couldn't hardly believe <laughs> it. I can't confirm. I can't confirm. It was ridiculous. Um, no, I, and I think there probably is some validity in the overthinking part of it. Now, NFL teams, they they are studying in ways that it's, I mean, it's not just about um, all the things that we think about. It's that and times a thousand. You know, the the amount of information they have on any draft-eligible player in the country would probably make us all fall off our chairs. So I think that they do their homework very well. Quarterback is, I mean, it's a really interesting situation um, that, you know, teams have to be balancing so much. Like, is this guy going to be able to be the face of our franchise if he becomes our starter? Because that's really, I mean, they're just, they're tiling up so many different things as it relates to, um, as it relates to quarterback. So I think there's probably some validity in maybe overthinking, but, you know, more often than not, um, you know, guys that get quarterbacks that get drafted high, I I know somebody will probably want to throw out Demarcus Russell. I mean, like, I get that there are misses, but uh, the guys that get drafted top 10, top 15, generally turn out to be okay quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah, and I, I, but I also think there's this thought that uh, if you miss on a guy with measurables, then you can sort of explain that away. Mm-hmm. If you miss on a guy who doesn't have the measurables, then you're probably going to get fired. Right. I mean, if, 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 if Baker's not Baker – for the Browns, that's a problem. If Kyler Murray doesn't become, maybe not Baker Mayfield in the first year, but if he doesn't become something that the Cardinals can build around, that's a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. So, uh, Joe, let's talk about quarterbacks that are currently in college football, but not <laughs> currently in Norman, although we'll There's see a lot in of Norman. <laughs> this is true. Uh, but one in particular, Austin Kendall, 
uh, name the starter at West Virginia. You alluded to this in the first segment, but uh, it looks like, at least to start the season, that Austin Kendall is the guy, and uh, that's what I think a lot of us expected, but took a while to get to that point. Yeah, I think it, you know, that competition seemed to be way more legitimate than the one um, that was going on in Norman. It seemed like when Austin Kendall decided to transfer, he was probably the de facto starter. Then it looked a little murky, but today Neil Brown told reporters that Kendall's the starter, um, and he even mentioned going back to fall camp how Kendall impressed him. So um, I think here locally it's interesting because um, obviously West Virginia is on the schedule and and on October 19th, and Lincoln Riley will face its former quarterback. And it's also interesting, uh, and we touched on this at Big 12 Media Days, how Lincoln Riley sort of – I think explain the reason that he let <laughs> Austin Kendall transfer or not not transfer become immediately eligible yeah. at West because Virginia because as Lincoln Riley will tell you he could have transferred anywhere which is of course yeah. patently ridiculous when he said he had a change of heart which is also a little ridiculous I mean there was well, so I mean, much he did public have a change out, of heart but, but it because, wasn't there was public outcry I mean exactly. he had to have a change of heart it was <laughs> it was a forced change of heart I mean it didn't make sense to deny Austin Kendall the, the right to immediately be eligible now if Riley hadn't granted him that he like you're you alluded to he would have transferred to a school outside the big 12 and then he could have been eligible anywhere yeah which is why lincoln riley's reasoning is pretty absurd yes of course he still could have transferred to west virginia but he was never going to do that if he couldn't be eligible immediately so uh but good for austin kendall it'll be really interesting uh in november when uh the mountaineers come to norman to see that matchup hear what austin kendall has to say maybe because we know Austin Kendall, he he can talk a little bit, uh, <laughs> as we saw uh, before the Ohio State game that was in Norman. Now, I still think that he got that think he got thrown under the bus there a little bit by that uh, whole controversy. Yeah, so I, I need and to go. I, by the way, what I just said was tongue firmly in cheek. You, Jenny's right. Austin Kendall got thrown under the bus because this was a show that wasn't even live. They didn't even, like, somebody should have said, hey. On campus. Produced by the athletic department. I mean, it's an easy cut. Let's try that again. We don't want to do that. But no, guy that doesn't talk to the media a ton is suddenly on this show, ask about Ohio State. I mean, yeah, that was that was an unfortunate thing. But no, I think it's interesting with uh, with the new coaching staff at at uh, you know West Virginia. Obviously, they became uh, known for Holgerson's passing attack, but uh, new coaching staff likes to throw it around too. So it sounded like they had a pretty healthy and what sounds to be a legitimate you know qu- competition. Like when when I I, I stood uh, listening to their new coach and I. I want to say it's it's not Neil Jones. That's a TV guy in Kansas City. Neil Brown. Neil Brown. I okay. Whew. I was like, I'm, I'm not <laughs> the same name, is it? Have I not tricked myself? But listening to Neil Brown talk, it really did sound like it was several guys that he was looking at. So 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 good for Austin Kendall to get the job. Yeah, and they actually just had a transfer, I think, from Bowling Green, who they didn't know was going to be eligible, and he was granted immediately uh, immediate eligibility, and that kind of added another. Uh, name to the competition so um yeah it does seem like it was competitive and 
And it's also interesting given the dynamic. I mean, Lincoln Riley and Neil Brown talked about being pretty good friends. They both went through Texas Tech. They didn't quite overlap, but I think we're a year apart. Um, Austin Kendall has a relationship with Neil Brown. When Brown was at Kentucky, his his brother went to Kentucky. So a lot of interesting dynamics that I think we'll look forward to when OU and West Virginia uh, play. uh, (laughs) Just Kentucky uh, ties uh, to this podcast. It's not a bad play. <laughs> That's all I'll say. <laughs> okay, Joe. All right. Well, we're going to uh, take another break here on the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Uh, don't forget to shoot us a review at the Apple Store and the Google Podcast app. We sure do appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in each week. This is the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast presented by Zaxby's. Cure your craving, stop in today, or visit zaxby's.com. All right, we've talked a lot of quarterbacks uh, for for the last 25 or so minutes. Now it's time to talk about something different, defense. Obviously a, a big focus. We've talked about defense every week here leading up to next Sunday's opener. Gosh, it's uh, less than two weeks away, a week and a half away now. It's getting about that time, but uh, Joe, we had this conversation over lunch uh, about Oklahoma defenders as uh, PFF uh, tweeted, I think. Do you have that tweet? uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but they tweeted out pass rush win rate, (laughs) which is very hard for me to say, and he was number one in the Big 12 last year. Yeah, Neville Gallimore is who we're uh, talking about, so... uh, PFF College, at PFF underscore college. If you don't follow it on Twitter, you really should because it's nothing but fascinating, the analytics side of college football. Uh, They said when rushing the passer, no one in the uh, Big 12 won at a higher rate than uh, than Neville Gallimore at, uh, what is it, 11.8% win rate. Uh, Bravion Roy from Baylor, 10.8%. A couple other guys uh, there higher than 8% or 8% or higher. So it's a pretty significant difference there. To me, Neville Gallimore is very clearly the number one defender on Oklahoma. I know the voters for the preseason Big 12 team, Jenny, didn't necessarily see it like that. They had Kenneth Murray as the preseason Big 12 player of the year, which I thought was was absurd then, and I think it's absurd (laughs) now. I was going to say – Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> to channel. I was just going to say incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Much more studious than me, Joe. And, and I can make a Bob Stoops reference to that John Hoover answer on every podcast because it's one of the most glorious things. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go look up. Don't put uh, me with you. Bob Stoops uh, post game, OU Texas a few years ago. Don't put me with you. <laughs> I thought it was a dumb question then. I think it's a dumb question now. 
<laughs> but uh, oh, so that Jenny, that spurred yeah. a discussion. Neville Gallimore, I think the three of us agree that he is the number yeah. one defender. I would say on so. this Oklahoma team. Yeah. Who is number two though? Wow. Hmm. You know that's it's a really good question. I mean, uh, even though he's not, I mean, I don't even know exactly where he fits, but I mean, I think Deshaun White might get my vote, and I know he's played so very little, but man, he he looks like he is he's going to be really good for this defense. And if Trey Norwood was still healthy. I'd probably be yeah. thinking about him, <laughs> which I'm sorry, Sooner fans. That's like a kick in the teeth. I'm sorry. But he, I mean, I I thought he was geared up to, to have a really, really big year. Um, so, yeah, that's, I mean, Parnell Motley. And, I, and his versatility makes him so valuable, which yeah. obviously you hate to hear that uh, for a lot of reasons, but just for the depth of that defense uh, really hurt them. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen guys have flashes, so maybe but maybe I'm my 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 opinion is clouded by the fact that we really have limited knowledge of what Deshaun White's going to look like but you just see the you see the the issues with these other guys that I I don't know Joe who'd you come down on Yeah I mean I I think Deshaun White's in a, a pretty good answer and just kind of following that this isn't my answer, but I think Jalen Redmond's another guy you could throw out there if he's healthy. Haven't seen too much of him, but he's got the potential to be uh, one of OU's best defensive players. I, I go to the back end, and I, I think I think you could go with Parnell Motley or Trey Brown. I'm kind of leaning toward Trey Brown at this point. I think he really came on sort of in the middle of last year, and it just seemed like he, he made more plays on the ball than just about anybody in that secondary, and he's so quick. He, he's so athletic. Um, that I think he can be a real difference maker. Yeah, I, I'm sort of right there with you. I probably would come down uh, slightly in Parnell Motley's camp just because he made more plays last year. And I think he's a guy who gets um, maligned in a lot of ways because he got beat a lot. And at that position, it's so visible when you get beat. But this guy's made a lot of plays yeah. uh, during the last couple of years at OU. Although, you know, I might go with somebody that we didn't mention, and that's Ronnie Perkins, uh, sort of for the same reasons that we talk about Jalen Redmond. I think he's got a chance to be really disruptive in Alex Grinch's offense, and I, I think he's got a chance to put up uh, some big numbers and do some things that we haven't seen in a while uh, from an Oklahoma defensive end. I will say, even though we were laughing about Kenneth Murray, I'm interested. Yeah, let's let's talk about Kenneth Murray some too. I'm interested to see with this new defense. I mean, no position has been jerked around in the last five years or so more than linebacker at Oklahoma. Are they and playing them? Are they not playing them? Is the Jenny talks about linebacker <laughs> hour? We couldn't get out of here without it, could we? But seriously, like the fact that you have seen them in flux seemingly so often if Alex Grinch and this defense can figure out a way to utilize them to make them comfortable and effective disruptive I think there's athletic talent there I think there's ability there but it's just been 
it's been hard to get a, a true read on what could these guys do these last few years. So if if Kenneth Murray's put in the right spot and is unleashed in some new way, maybe he does prove us all wrong and he does have a great year. But I that's a really interesting unknown to me at this point. Yeah. Well, and I oh go ahead, Joe. Well, I, he he talked about at Big Twelve Media Days about never playing middle linebacker before he got to college. So it's still a position he's relatively new to. So it's probably you know unfair to beat up on him. I mean, I, I, all of us agree that he he shouldn't have been named the preseason defensive player of the year, but he still made a lot more plays than uh, some of his other teammates <laughs> have on on that defense. Yeah, I, I think you know you could you could see Kenneth Murray's numbers going down significantly this year, and him being a much much better player. Um, because of what Alex Wrench likes to do with the defensive line, because of the improvements in what Kenneth Murray's doing. So he's tackling guys, you know, one or two yards downfield or in the backfield versus five, six yards uh, down the field. I, I think that uh, numbers aren't the end all with linebackers, especially, but uh, defensive players overall, I think it's easy to get sucked into those tackle numbers, which is what I think a lot of the viewer, or the voters did in the All Big 12 team in yeah. the preseason. He had 28 in one game last yeah, year. Yeah, but nobody would say that that was near his best game of right. the year. It was just Army was one, running so many dang plays, and two, they were running those dang plays right at him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that skews it. And I think that's probably what ended up. I mean, people, I'm sure that was that was what ultimately pulled a lot of people to put him at the top of their preseason ballot for that honor. But, I mean, he he's played a lot of snaps. He's got a lot of experience. He's been in big situations. You know, if if put in the right spot, it, it'll be interesting to see if he can unlock something that, that I, I think what Ryan said before, can he be more effective? Can he be more... Um, you know, uh, in, engrossed, I guess, in what's happening and not be sort of the reactive. I mean, we've talked about this, and I've talked about this more than I care to, but that's really become the difference where Oklahoma's defenses used to have linebackers that were forcing the action. Now they've, in, in recent years, had linebackers reacting to the action. So can they recapture some of that attack mode, and can Kenneth Murray potentially again, unlock something that maybe we haven't seen before. Yeah, and I think, you know, when it's it's sometimes hard to, to talk positively about OU's defense, but we just went around the table and mentioned names like Deshaun White, Ronnie Perkins, and Jalen Redmond. That's two sophomores and a redshirt freshman. So if you want to have a better outlook about the future of OU's defense, like just mention three guys who are all very, very young that I think, you know – if you want to try to match Alex Grinch's first year, maybe they could be start the start of that sort of new wave of an improved OU defense. Yeah, so that'll be uh, fun to check out. We finally will get our first glance at this defense in real life September 1st, uh, Sunday. Uh, for, for all those people at home who maybe not haven't been paying attention for a while, it is a Sunday night game. Uh, Jenny, 6.30, right? 6.30. Uh, 6.30 starts. So that'll be uh, be interesting to watch. We'll finally get a, start to get a sense of uh, what to make of this defense, what to make of this uh, OU Sooners team. But we're going to wrap that up uh, 
for this afternoon. Thanks you so much for joining uh, the Sooners Extra podcast uh, uh, presented by the Oklahoman. You can uh, drop us a line. Twitter's the best way to get a hold of uh, us, although email, uh, my email, R-A-B-E-R at Oklahoman.com. You can find me on Twitter at R-Y. A-B-E-R. Uh, Jenny, tell folks how to get a hold of you. You got it. Jay Carlson at Oklahoman.com or Jenny, two N's, one I, Car- uh, <laughs> Carlson underscore OK. Yeah, I screwed that up really Jenny's good. Jenny's forgetting her own <laughs> name here. Uh, I forgot where the underscore <laughs> was there for a second. Jenny Carlson underscore OK on Twitter. And Joe? Yeah, at Joe underscore Masato on Twitter. And then email is J-M-U-S-S-A-T-T-O at Oklahoman.com. All right. Well, the Sooners Extra podcast is presented each week by Zaxby's Curier Craving. Stop in today or visit zaxby's.com. You can check out our work every day at oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma.